Hey guys, it's Kat, and it's time for another episode of the True Tea Call-In Show. This month, we spoke about the Don't Say the Gay Bill and the complex conversation around grooming. And we had some really interesting call-ins that I'm about to play for you right now. I think that this conversation is really important right now because there are so many different emotions happening amongst LGBTQIA folks across the country about what feels like increasing antagonism against everything that we embody. And I wanted to take a moment to capture what it felt like right now for people to be in this position. So we had a couple of different conversations and you can of course listen to the full call-in show on my Patreon where I keep all of my unedited call-in streams. But for now, here are a few of my favorite call-ins from that episode. Who am I speaking to and what is your true tea? Hello, Kat. My name is Eileen. I'm not queer, so a lot of the call-ins you do, I just didn't know if I should call in. I am a mother and I used to be an educator. I was a librarian at an elementary school, K through five. Oh, wow. As a librarian, books are another part of the conversation that's been Mm. happening a lot. And when I was working as a librarian, I had one of my fifth graders come and search LGBT and I see what their search is. And so the students searched. And at the time I was relatively new to the school and the library. And I didn't have any books like that, unfortunately. So I knew who the student was and I kind of went back and forth on whether or not to have a conversation with them. I did a little research and I found a bunch of titles that I felt like this student would particularly care for since it was around the theme of being queer. And I went back and forth for months. I was like, should I give these books to the parent? Should I even give these book titles at all? Like I was really cautious and I was afraid that I was going to be overstepping my boundaries, Uh even though I knew the student was actively looking for these books. So it was definitely a little scary. And so what ended up happening was I waited a couple months and I ended up giving, giving the student this list of titles that I had come up with and was like, go to the public library. We don't have any here. And she was thankful and we didn't really talk about it after that. And after that, just going literally a lot of Two or three of my students, when it came to graduating fifth grade, the ones that were born as girls showed up in suits. And I know... Yeah, I know with having conversations with them that it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So their last day at school, they were like, I'm going to show up in what I actually feel comfortable in. And the student I'm talking about in particular ended up transitioning over the summer. Oh, wow. Which I can understand. I can assume to understand easier going into a new school. Yeah, definitely. Before you got there. And so the mother of the student came up to me after the summer because she had more kids at the school. And she came up to me and was like, I need to talk talk to you. So of Mm. course I was terrified. I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I accept all blame. Right. And she comes up to me and she starts crying and she tells me her now son, her son's new name and how impactful I was by just handing that little list of a couple books to him and what that meant. And this parent actually went out and wrote a letter to the district and really wanted the district to know that because I supported their child, it made all the difference. Wow. 
being an educator in that space, I was in Colorado at the time. Now I live in Tulsa. But being an educator in that space was it was definitely tricky because I feel like there's no rules. There's no you don't mm. know where you're supposed to step, what you're supposed to do. Because if we look at it a different way and that parent was not supportive, I could have been in hot water. You yeah, know? I could have been written up. I could have been fired. I could have any of those things could have happened to me. But because this child was coming from a supportive home it made all all the difference. So moving forward, I started to add in LGBTQI books to my library. And a lot of people are like, you work in K through five, like what do they think gay equals sex? I immediately assumed that I was putting inappropriate books in the library, which I was not, of course. There are plenty of books, picture books, novels, chapter books that have queer representation. So I just wanted to come in and kind of share that story. I also had a queer teacher who I worked with. I know that was something that she thought about when she got hired was like, how do I navigate this space being who I am in this space? So it's definitely a tricky environment to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I want to start by saying thank you so much for sharing that story and for doing what you do. Librarians are very much underappreciated and they have been very impactful in my life. I'm sure for any kid's life who stayed in the library for recess and things like that. So I I definitely appreciate you for doing that. I don't know if you still do, but thank you for standing up for that kid. That is amazing. What would you say to the people who are trying to remove some of these books. Is there a way in your mind to get through to them? The big thing with the book banning going on right now, a lot of the people wanting to ban these books have no idea what the books are about, have not read the books. They're just being fed these titles, so they're opposing these titles. When you look at the top 10 banned books, nine of them are queer books. There's an amazing queer Black author right now who's been sued several times, Mm. but what has happened is that his book is being published again and again, and there's Mm. more copies being printed every day. He's actually been sued personally. He's been sued because he talks about being molested. He talks about his journey. It's a memoir, and they keep coming for him, and he his books keep getting printed. I will say some of the older students out there right now, when it comes to book banning, they are forming their own book groups yeah. outside of school. I've seen that. So, yeah. When it comes to K through uh, five children's books that have these topics, it's very easy. We have picture books with families that have two fathers or two mothers. There's some beautiful lesbian family picture books out right now that are just, as an illustrator, you would just be like, oh my God, gorgeous. <laughs> I think the nuance is there just like it would be there for any other topic. Like, I really don't think we have to overthink it. We have couples, we have crushes. You know what I mean? It yeah. I think every week, 50 plus children's books get published and there's so many choices and options and it's just about finding them. And it's about not just finding them and putting them on the shelf, but advocating for them because there's going to be children that need to see themselves. And if they don't, they don't think they deserve to exist. Yeah. And books are just another form of media. So they have to be able to see themselves in it. My name is Alan. I live in North Carolina and I'm gay. My sister's a teacher. I'm not a teacher, but I just wanted to comment on the general conversation that was being had about being 
gay in this really scary time we're in right now. I don't leave my house much because I work from home, but there's like this general antagonistic air around and this existential dread. I think mm. a lot of people feel, including me, I feel this is just going to get worse. It feels re- like a really scary time to to be walking around looking the way I look and being the, and acting the way I act. I think it's something that we've been talking about for a really long time that we were like, hey, this is going to happen. And like a lot of people on the left particularly have been telling queer people that we you know we're overreacting mm-hmm. and i think it's something that people queer people are used to because i don't think this is very different especially in the south from the way things were so let's say five years ago that's what i was very curious about and obviously things have changed but how was it five years ago and how is it now in comparison you know it's really weird because I think there is like this really Trumpy side to North Carolina, but I think that it could be very similar to what's happening in Florida. But thankfully, we have a Democratic governor here and he's continuously got reelected and he's viewed pretty positively by the public. So that's good in the sense that he's there as a block to prevent us from becoming Florida, because I think I think we have a really prominent queer grassroots push here in North Carolina, especially from what happened with the the trans bathroom bill Mm. that happened. It was like a canary in the coal mine to a lot of this, I think. Mm. That they were coming after trans people next, like after gay marriage. They're coming back, they're looping back to it. Yeah. But I think that they implanted themselves in attacking trans people because I don't nobody was really talking about trans people, I think, before the bathroom bill. It wasn't like like people knew, oh, that's a People didn't really know the difference between, like, a cross-dresser and a trans person for a long time. Like, a lot about, like, the identity of what transness was and things like that were going, like, really untalked about until the, especially, like, here, until the bathroom bill happened. Like, I had Mm. trans friends before that. Like, I, I've I've always, I grew up in a, more like a democratic area of North Carolina. Like, I live, like, Morris, like, the the more, the closer you are to a college in North Carolina, probably the more probably the more liberal conducive the environment will be to yeah liberal the more environment will be and conducive the environment will be to queer people particularly i've always been around queer people i've always been around queer people and i've always had queer friends i grew up in a slightly antagonistic home but thankfully my my upbringing is a little weird because we i started out living in new jersey and my mom was a hairdresser and a lot of her friends were gay and then mm. moved here and then she married like a really homophobic person oh. and changed my environment a lot but he died in New Jersey but <laughs> sorry for uh, laughing that was mean I'm sorry <laughs> when I tell a lot of my queer friends that he died they're like oh but he, he was he had a really problematic thing there's a there is a conversation to be had around like grooming in the queer communities particularly because of I think the way that a lot of these apps are not really good about keeping young people off of them and a lot yeah. of young people see these apps as a way to reach out to queerness and it's really, it's like a lot of times it can be like a really unsafe thing where a lot of kids feel like they're being like quote unquote adult. And it's really easy to find people that are willing to have sex with kids yeah. on these apps. And a lot of people, a lot of queer people feel like that, that's the only access they have to, to affirmation of like their love choice or any sort of necessary developmental expression of sexuality that needs to happen when you see all your friends hooking up and things like that with appropriate people like it can be isolating when you don't really have that opportunity especially in a place like is in like environments like in the south and stuff yeah Um, but and that's the thing people don't get either i think 
And I'm so glad you brought that up because a lot of times, like the kind of grooming that I experienced, it, some of it comes because you see all your fr- your friends getting on and falling in love and making connections and you want to be able to do that too. And unfortunately, when you're that young and you're, there's all this stigma around you, adults who are looking to prey on children are more readily available than people who are your own age. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize what is a fix to that situation and what is not a fix to that situation. It's also sometimes important to gatekeep those conversations away from people who are clearly not engaging in a productive way. We know that there is, that there's a grooming problem in every community, but yeah, I think there particularly is. the queer community is vulnerable to certain things because of a lot of the trauma that we experience, especially at a young age. Mm. So I think that we need to be addressing the trauma and keeping kids off of these apps and addressing the people that do have these problems. I think, and I think that because of that, because of things that have happened to trauma that a lot of queer people have when it comes to getting sexual at a young age or things like that, or maybe going more farther than they may have felt that they were comfortable. I think that a lot of queer people nowadays, especially younger ones have this general aversion to like pink and things because they don't really have, because I think that there's a shame that's been imposed on these things. And it's, there's a capitalistic turn that queerness has made, especially with like pride, and especially during a month like this, where like people are talking about can't get pride and things like that, where we're constantly having these conversations about what is appropriate, what is not appropriate. And you can really fall prey to a lot of these conservative pitfalls about, oh, maybe this is something that we need to do. And mm-hmm. like this internalized homophobia that you start to start harboring again about, oh, I hate queer people or the gay community sucks. And it's all about sex all the time. It's this weird, like puritanical resurgence that I think is happening. And I think that a lot of people see queerness through the lens of what's presented to them. And I think that's a problem for everyone, right? Where we only get like a certain types of queer stories told. And that's, it's something that we're constantly battling against. But I just want to hopefully people will stay like really mindful of and safe and not, don't concede ground these people mm. especially with people that aren't engaging in in any, good faith they're not engaging at all in good faith, faith. they don't, they don't yeah. actually care about these kids yeah they want tra- and i don't want to be frank but like they want trans people to kill themselves they want gay people to kill themselves they don't mm-hmm. care about us yeah and so it's important to stop those conversations at uh no you're not actually trying to make kids safer they don't actually care about the kids they yeah. care about finding ways to further demonize queer people, especially trans people right now. Mm -hmm. They mostly care about control. That's really what it is. And telling people what they can do and what they can't do and where they can go and, and where they can't go. And with that in mind, and also your thought about conceding ground, my, my last question for you is as a person who lives in North Carolina, do you see yourself staying there to face these people or moving to a place that's more accepting for your own happiness or survival? I think 
it's twofold. I go back and forth on it because part of me wants to move to a more metropolitan area because I hate driving. And so I sometimes, and I have a lot of friends in different big cities. So like, part of me was like, oh, I should move somewhere where I can get around without a car and like New York or something like that. And and I'm like, oh, my rent is so affordable here. I don't know if I can move somewhere else. And then also I have a, I have a general stake in a lot of the, some of the politics here that I think that it's, I th- sometimes I think it's worth it to stay and fight the good fight. So we'll see how long that lasts. What I want to remind people is that you don't have to en- engage with some of these people. And sometimes the best thing you can do to a person that's antagonistic against people is just to cut them off. Like mm. just to tell them like, hey, walk away. Just to make sure they know this is the reason why I'm not talking to you anymore. And it's because you're like this. And that's something sometimes the best thing you can do to someone, because I think sometimes engaging with them is enabling their is enabling their thoughts and it gives them sort of validity that sometimes you don't want to give them it's hard but i think it's sometimes better to find people in your community who are who do agree with you or have more commonality with you and it's it, it is scary and it's hard in especially in, in smaller cities and in in these in the south and in small cities anywhere really small towns when you're queer and you don't really have anybody that's that's like you but that you or like around your age or that but it can be a very isolating and lonely but i have family here so it's not that bad for me but i can understand how it'd be really bad for other people because thankfully except dad died i don't really have any conflicts with anyone else in my family what is your truth to you i'm a transgender woman uh, i'm from a country that it's located in central america mm. so uh weather. so things over there are you know not the easiest Mm. So I pretty much escape and, you know, everything that goes down over there regarding the community, the LGBT community. And I moved to the Bay Area, to San Francisco. And, you know, it's been like a totally different situation over here. And when I started listening to all these news about everything related to the trans banning and the new laws against us pretty much it's just very 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 disappointing you know it really makes you wonder did i make the right decision on moving here or because mm. uh, you really never know if it's gonna end up affecting you you know and even if it doesn't affect it is affecting somebody else you know yeah and so you're always conscious about that. And it's just like, it really makes you wonder, what can you do? What can we do? Somebody was saying earlier that, I think he was living in North Carolina, that at times it's good that you stay in in those cities, those small towns, because maybe you are the one that is going to make a change, maybe not. Mm. For me, it was a matter of, either I live or I'm going to die here. And my dad tried to kill me twice. And oh, wow. It was really about that, you know, it's either I escape or... I'm going to die. So when I started listening to all this, the news over here was like, whoa, I thought this was like a, a first world country. You know, like I mm. thought United States, you know, you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do as long as you're not hurting anybody. You know, I will tell you that I was 17 when I left my country. And yes, talking about grooming. I had to do a lot of things in the name of my freedom. You know, I had to mm. sleep with people just to have a place to sleep. I had to go on grinder and find somebody that will let me take a shower or, or that would take me out to dinner because I didn't have anywhere to go, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want anybody to go through that. And I think that that's another thing that they are really not thinking about. You know, something that you were mentioning that 
by legislating legislating all these things the way they're doing it, they're just making it harder for kids to to have a quality life, you know? They're just really, really making it harder. It's kind of like the abortion situation, you know, like making mm-hmm. it illegal. It's just making it more dangerous for women yes. trying to get abortion. And it's kind of like the same situation with um, queer kids, you know, like... It's just going to make it more dangerous, more the misconception and the the ignorance is going to keep growing. Yeah. Because it would always be there. <laughs> yeah. It would always be there and it would always be there. And that's the thing people don't understand is that, you know, you can legislate against transgender people being able to go to school and go to work and gain access to care. But the reality is that we will continue to exist. And and for most of us, it's it's going to be one of those situations where we're going to do what we have to do to survive. Even if that means, well, I'm going to start ordering hormones from some dodgy website, or I'm going to go, you know, across seas to to get what I need. Like, it's still going to happen. There's a lot of conversation about, um, are there more transgender people? You know, more more people are trans now, and that's because of the grooming and the da 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 da. But that's not the case. What what actually happened is that transition became more accessible, and we started having employment protections for transgender people. So more than ever before, we have situations where transgender people feel like they can be out and they can be themselves. And so you're seeing more people being out and being themselves. And right now, I mean, maybe this is just me speaking from, you know, growing up in LA, but when I went to finally go and ask for help as an a, 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 a adult for, for transition, I was able to access the care because it was available to me. And the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Center is the largest LGBT center, I think, in the world or the country. And we're able to have that care because it exists there for us. But if that infrastructure was not there life would be very different. And so connecting back to the, the the abortion thing, in the before times, before abortion was legalized, a lot of women had very limited options. If you got pregnant, that was basically the end of your upward mobility. And so now when they're coming against abortion and things like that, now they're, they are making it harder for women to be able to move upward. And that is very much their goal. That is very much their plan. They want women, queer folks, minorities, et cetera, to be in a position where they're not able to actually have upward mobility. A lot of people think like somebody telling them, I'm not racist. My friend's black, you know, (laughs) but I think we should be segregated. But I think, you know, marriage should be only between a man and a those, you know, most people, the average person is going to say those things and they're going to be like, I'm, that's not racist, you know. Racist is me telling you the N-word or yeah. it's like me telling you the F-word or whatever, you know. They don't really understand the, the, the politics behind it, you know. They don't really understand the, the microaggression. Unfortunately, that's really what, what shifts our reality. I know you can relate to this too, that I'm not scared of somebody calling me the P-word uh-huh. or the F-word or whatever. I'm really not scared. I'm scared of the people at the top. You know, I'm scared of the people like the San, the Santos, the Santos, like, mm-hmm. um, 
that they are truly making life, you know, harder for kids, for queer professionals. Again, it's just something that it's really, really hard for, for me, especially coming from a country that is even worse than here, you know, mm-hmm. to understand how come this country is so rich. So there's so many opportunities. There's so much progress in the Pakistan time. I feel like I'm still living there. And I'm, you know, I'm really, really blessed. And I know that you probably feel the same way living in LA. You know, mm-hmm. we live in big cities that I know I can go out in the city in San Francisco and I'm not scared of, you know, yeah. killed or anything like that, you know. But I know that in North Carolina or in Texas, it's not like that, you know. So just because I'm fine or because I'm, you know, I have more protection here doesn't mean that everybody's fine, you know. Yeah. And I think that that's when it becomes personal. And that's when, when you just feel powerless, really. You know, it's like, what am I supposed to do? You know, a lot of times we have like amazing, amazing ideas and almost solutions. But what are we going to do when we are a minority? And that's another issue. A lot of people think like, why do we have to change the way we think just for three people? Yeah, for a minority. Yeah. But I believe that in society itself, the world itself, it's never going to be able to progress if we don't make sure that those minorities are respected, mm-hmm. that we have laws that protect them and that we are equal, you know? I don't care if it's one person in the whole world that it's trolling that with something that nobody is trolling with, but we've got to make sure they are safe, they're protected, and that they have the best life, you know? So that will conclude the call-ins for this edited version of the True Tea Call-In Show. Like I said, we did several call-ins that you can find right now on my Patreon in full, completely unedited. And if you listen to that stream, you know that we had quite a few technical difficulties, but we eventually made it work. And I want to thank everyone who helped me through that process. And hopefully the next one will go a bit smoother. So yeah. All right. On that note, I'll see you guys next time. Bye.